the Holy Gospel according to John. Glory Glory to you, O Lord. The Passover of the Jewish people was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both sheep and cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, Take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. The Judeans then said to him, What sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Judeans then said, This temple has been under construction for 46 years, and you will raise it up in three days? But Jesus was speaking of the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Amen. During seminary, I worked at Cedar's Mediterranean Restaurant as a server. It was a good job, and I really loved the people that I worked with. One of the first lessons that I learned there was how to turn tables. And what they meant by this was that when a table of people had finished their meal and started to leave, we should bust that table as quickly as possible and get it ready for the next guests. During busier shifts that I worked, people would be waiting in our waiting area to be seated. So the faster that we could get these tables turned, the faster we could get these next guests seated to their table and eating. It was a fun and frenetic place to work on those busy nights. But it was especially worth it when customers would leave satisfied and especially when they'd leave us a big tip. After that first year of seminary, I left Chicago for the summer to do my clinical pastoral education. So I inevitably left my job at Cedars. But throughout the rest of my seminary journey, I learned new ways of turning tables. Not necessarily in the restaurant setting, but more so in the public sphere through community organizing. And it's this kind of turning tables that is inspired by our gospel reading today where Jesus enters the temple and flips the money changers' tables. It was this radical energy of Jesus that excited me and many of my seminary classmates to dream of building enough power ourselves so we could start to turn over the tables of inequality and racism and sexism, queer phobia, and to finally start to reverse the destruction that we are causing to this earth. I'd be lying if I said that this table-flipping gospel 
doesn't still awaken that radical side of myself, because it does. But as I thought about preaching this sermon, I didn't want to just pick the low-hanging fruit that would rile myself up, or maybe many of you as well, to just start going out there and flipping tables. So instead, I thought about the part of the story that we don't get. Like what happened in the temple after Jesus turns all the tables and prophesies about his death and resurrection? Like what happens after that? I imagine Jesus having this mic drop moment and strutting out of the temple with his disciples close behind. But the money changers and the other Jews in the temple must have just been standing there, silently stunned, looking around at one another, but slowly they began picking up the coins one by one off the ground and cleaning up the tables that were strewn all about, flipping them back over into their right place. But in my vision, the people in this temple don't just go back to business as usual right away. They're too shocked to just go back to selling animals for sacrifice after all Jesus had done to drive out all the animals. So for the moment, it's actually just the people and the empty tables. Maybe a stray dove flapping around there, but mostly just an empty space. So these money changers and these Jews begin to surround these tables for conversations about what just happened to them. A few of them are incensed that Jesus would do such a thing, especially in the temple of all places. Doesn't he have any respect for private property? Some start to even call for criminal prosecution of this reckless rioter, Jesus. But I imagine there's also a few of them who start to question this system of ritual sacrifice that had been in place and had excluded the poor and those who were unclean and not able to enter the temple to perform these ritual sacrifices. Some of those folks who are starting to question this system altogether start to voice their sympathy with Jesus' action and begin to wonder out loud if the system at all can even be reformed or if it has to be dismantled altogether in order to be more inclusive and accessible to all people. And then there are yet others who don't quite have the words to articulate their reaction to what Jesus just did. So they quietly and patiently listen, and they search their own heart for what is being asked of them in response to Jesus' actions. I imagine these crowded table discussions in the temple just after Jesus has flipped the tables. They may have felt kind of frustrating or maybe even pointless to some. Everybody just said what they were already believed. And no one actually changed their mind or left with any kind of change of heart. But maybe there was something more happening under the surface that no one could fully understand or explain just yet. Because... After what Jesus did, after that transgression, all of a sudden people were faced with the truth that they had to make a decision. Would things just go back to the way they were or would they seek change? 
Ultimately, the tables that Jesus flipped, they had to be set again and put back in their place. And we do know the end of the story, so we know what happens from here. Jesus and his message of life and liberation could not exist alongside of these systems of inequality and exploitation and death. So one of them had to go. And it turned out to be Jesus. But does that mean that Jesus' table-flipping moment was in vain or that this system of inequality and exploitation and death had actually won? No way. Because we also know that Jesus does what he said he would do that day in the temple. He did rise from the dead after three days. And for us, that is good news because we too, through our baptism, have died a death like Jesus's. And in doing so, we will also experience a resurrection like his. You see, even though the table-flipping instinct in me is strong, I also recognize the reality and the need to reset that table so that we can welcome more people to it. And that's when I think back to my serving days at Cedars, where we eagerly turned tables to welcome as many guests as we could in a single shift. And I wonder if we could think of our own communion tables in this way, which right now are our own dinner tables or maybe your coffee table. Maybe it's time to turn our own tables and reset them so that more people can come to know our table's abundance. The High Women are a band that I really like, and they have a song called Crowded Table. And the lyrics go like this. Yeah, I want a house with a crowded table and a place by the fire for everyone. The door is always open. Your picture's on my wall. Everyone's a little broken, and everyone belongs. Yeah, everyone belongs. What if our communion tables reflected the vision of this song? What if we cleared our table of all of the stumbling, stumbling blocks and set it back in such a way that there was no question that every person has a spot prepared for them at this table? Not just that there's room for them at the table, but that the table was set with them in mind. I think that's why Jesus turned the tables in the first place, because they were set in such a way that actively discriminated against the poor and the ritually unclean, to the extent that there was no place for them at the table. And Jesus cannot abide, so he overturns the table to communicate that the Lord's table has a place for everyone, intentionally prepared for each and every one of us. It was set with you and with me in mind. And in response, we are not only called then to be table flippers, but we're also called to be table setters as well, inviting all to God's table of mercy. And I imagine when we arrive at that table at the last, when everyone will finally take their place at that crowded table, I cannot wait for the conversations and for the food and for the fellowship that is had and savored. The table that was once turned has now been set with you in mind. 
So I invite you to take your place at that table and to experience God's abundant spread. Amen.